Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, <laughs> a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Ann Friedman. And I'm Amina Tuso. And wow, what a day. Big day for us today, Ann. We got to interview a woman that we really admire on Call Your Girlfriend, Huma Abedin. Who, if you don't know, now you know, is uh, Hillary Clinton's right-hand woman, has worked in politics for a couple of decades mostly putting forward policies that we think are pretty awesome, but is like a behind-the-scenes kind of woman, and which is why we're so excited to like actually talk to her on the record. I know, and she does so few interviews, so this is like big deal honor for us. It's true. When we made a list of people who we would want to talk to on the podcast, she was definitely in the first like 10 names, at least. Uh, I want to say in the first two names. <laughs> Yeah. Go ahead and listen to our interview with Huma, and then um, Anne and I will debrief and tell you uh, everything that we think about it afterwards. Oh, such a good debrief. A long debrief. Hi, Huma. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi. It, I'm thrilled to be on. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. You know, almost two years ago when we started dreaming of doing this podcast, you were, I want to say, like one of the first people that we ever thought we wanted to talk to. So this is kind of momentous day. Milestone for, for our Are podcast. Are you serious? Yes. I am. I'm stunned. Stunned to hear this. You're a big deal to young ladies. We're, we're excited. Young, nerdy I I, women everywhere. <laughs> I thought I was only a big deal to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you can tell your mom you have a lot of fans. I'm, I'm so listen, we know that you are Hillary Clinton's right-hand woman, but you often work behind the scenes. Can you kind of describe your job and what it is that you do every day? Well, you know, it's, uh, um, it is a little bit hard to describe because um, I am behind the scenes. You took the words out of my mouth. I, Ed, I confess um, that is intentional. I prefer, to, I prefer to be behind the scenes and stay behind the scenes. And I really work as, you know, part of a village, as my, my boss coined the phrase perfectly. I am, you know, truly honored and thrilled to be uh, part of it, and I think every day here at the campaign, at least um, in the you know the in, in Hillary for America's team, it's a little bit of everything. The way I see it is, I work in a startup uh, that started about a year ago, and I s- help keep the trains moving on time. I often am on the road with her, so everything from ensuring that we know what we're doing, that you know she has the policy updates and information that she needs, working with our communications team, with our policy team, with our scheduling and advance teams, and it's like a living, breathing, moving organism, When the particularly when the campaign's on the road, and she's on the road a lot, and um, I just... You know, I'm there to help keep it all together and help people be at their best, including my boss, but also this incredible team that supports her. And I and I love doing it. I feel like I'm learning something every day, and I still get up every day excited about what I do. And I, I feel I feel very lucky to have that existence. Is this a job that you knew existed when you were younger? Like, did you think you would end up working in politics, or but not quite this role? Or I don't know. Did it fit with your ambitions? 
gosh, not at all. You know, it's funny. I was actually one of those young women who knew exactly what I wanted to do, you know, as far back as I can remember. And I, I grew up, uh, I grew up overseas. And my, my earliest memory is that I wanted to be a journalist, and I specifically wanted to be Christiane Amanpour. And, at, you know, she was uh, at CNN, you know, traveling around the world, and I'd watch her. I was living in Saudi Arabia, and I would turn the TV on, and she was just this intrepid, brilliant, fearless sort of truth teller. It is what I wanted to grow up to be, and so I, when I came to the U.S. for... Uh, for university, I thought, okay, I'm I'm going to be her, and I studied I studied journalism, and it wasn't until I was um, at school that I became more interested in politics, and I started uh, taking pol- political science classes, and that's when I had this this opportunity, this incredible opportunity to have an uh, an internship at the White House, and that was back in 1996 when Hillary was first lady. And the rest, as they say, is history. I was very very quickly hooked. It's not anything. I ever thought I would do. And now I look back and think, how could it not have been? Can you tell us about the first time that you met Hillary Clinton? Like, what is it like just meeting this, you know, like iconic figure like in politics? So this would have been in the fall of 1996. I was working uh, in the First Lady's office as an intern for her, um, you know, then chief of staff, uh, Milan Verveer, who did all of her policy. And every intern session, and the interns had an opportunity to meet whoever um, was the head of their office. And the first lady was very good about meeting all the interns in her office. And so the first time I met her was during that, um, this, you know, small session. She really, she would come over, take a photo with all of us, thank us all for our work, take a couple of questions. And I confess I was really, I've, I, I've thought back about that moment and I, I remember, I feel like, I was really nervous. We, it was in the midst of a work day. I was trying to figure out what I was going to wear and, you know, how I would look. And I was just, you know, shaking. I was so nervous. And it was kind of a blur. And we did it in the diplomatic reception room, which is in the residence. And it's this really beautiful oval-shaped room with this this spectacular wallpaper and it's like so just being in that room in the residence it's kind of one of those awe-inspiring moments and you know here I am this 21 year old intern in college thinking wow this is really cool that was the first time but my moment and I think I've talked about this in the past I think when President Clinton had his re-election uh, a few of us interns went to Little Rock and that so that was in November obviously and I remember being at the rally in Little Rock, and it was election night, and obviously he was elect- reelected. And I remember being on the rope line, and there are thousands and thousands of people, and I was, you know, with a whole bunch of my friends, and and you know, I had I had met her before, like I said, in this photo for thirty seconds. They come out, and the crowd's electric. I don't. It's you know, you know these things that happen in your life that just stick that she walked by and she shook my hand and our eyes connected. And I just remember having this moment where I thought, wow, you know, this is amazing. And I just, it just inspired me. And, and you know, I, I, I still remember the look on her face. And it's funny, and she would probably be so annoyed that I say this, but I remember thinking, oh my God, she's so beautiful and she's so little. And, oh. you know, it's just sort of because, you know, you look, so people much. look different on TV. And I just thought, wow. Uh, and I had such a fangirl moment and I was hooked. I mean, and that sort of was my, you know, that's my first kind of my, my memory. 
Oh, wow. I mean, so so you're at this point, you know, you're still in your early 20s, right? Yeah. When this happened? Guess, yeah. 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 I guess I was, tw- I guess, right? I was 21, probably, if I yeah. had to guess. Yeah. Remember? Wow. Bad at math. A, <laughs> a lot of our listeners now are politically progressive, politically engaged, mm-hmm. pro-choice mm-hmm. women who, most of whom are under 35. And mm-hmm. We talk about Hillary a lot on the podcast, and we talk about politics, and we get a not insignificant amount of letters and tweets making the case for Bernie to us. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm wondering if you could sort of give the your personal opinion of why what you would tell them about about Hillary, or why why should should they support her? Look, I think that you know. As somebody who has known her for now, and I really am aging myself, it is going to be um, 20 years in September that I will have been with her. And I, I think that I have had the ability to, to get to know her both in the capacity of somebody who is my, my boss, who every time I've been in a meeting with her, uh, on a plane with her, in a, you know, a backstage sort of negotiation with her, I've always been blown away by not just mu- how much she knows, but how determined she is to get things done that help other people and, and that she doesn't stop until she gets there. And so even if it's unpopular and even if it's, you know, not a sexy issue and even if it doesn't necessarily isn't the the thing of the moment, she's dogged until she gets either a result or at least has tried to make change. And then we get in the car and she'll say, do you have that business card of that person? Because I want to follow up and I want to see if I can help them. And this person has a, you know, has a struggle in their own life. And so I feel as though I see somebody who every single day gets up when she really doesn't have to. I, I think that, you know, if my boss quit tomorrow, she will go down as one of the you know greatest American women in, in the history of the world. Um, but... She's had a life where she's had a lot of blessings and she's been able to do a lot with it and she's been able to help a lot of people. And, you know, we're in the midst of campaigning in New York right now and just we're, we've been looking through her record and the things that, that, that she did in the Senate and, the, and everyone she helped from, you know, 9-11 and beyond. It keeps me going. It keeps me being able to get up every single day, even when it's hard, because I know she's committed to making people's lives better and you know, I wish the world could see the Hillary Clinton that I see every day um, because she's going to she's going to do great things for this because she has done great things for this country. And I'm really confident that she can do great things for on behalf of this country when when she's our president. I'm really looking forward to it. I have a specific follow up about that. So yeah. Hillary Clinton has a really strong record on reproductive rights, mm-hmm. but she hasn't really spoken about them with the same kind of fervor when, when she discusses other issues. I'm thinking specifically about her comments about abortion in 05 when she said that it was like a sad, tragic choice for many. Fast forward to this campaign and she's come out like full force against the Hyde Amendment, which is amazing. What else are you recommending that she should do to ensure that all women and particularly low income women and women of color have equal access to health care? Well, I think that, you know, it's something that she's spoken out about a lot um, in this uh, in this campaign. And I think particularly since the other side, the you know, our, you know, our friends on the Republican side have suggested some some pretty scary um, policies, and, and especially when we had to deal with uh, the the issue of Planned Parenthood's potentially being closed down and what the Republicans did in Congress. I mean, this notion that 
all women should feel like they're able to make their own decisions, not have politicians tell them what to do or how to do it, but be able to give all women access to affordable, you know, good quality health care. And that includes that's including your reproductive health, which is why I think the, you know, the, the threat of the Planned Parenthood shutdowns were so scary. But beyond that, really not making judgments on decisions that women have to make. And so any, you know, any woman, particularly when it comes to the reproductive health, I mean, this is something that's deeply personal that and she absolutely respects that doesn't think any politician should be telling women what to do. And as long as you're making decisions that are your own decisions as a woman, it doesn't matter, you know, who you are, and you're doing it with your family and, you know, with your, you know, keeping your faith in mind, like everyone has their the right to make that own decision, their own decision. And, um, and she supports that. And so I even remember recently, like I had a little bit of a, you know, a scare myself. And I thought, all right, I went and checked myself out, and I'm fine. And any woman in this country should be able to, you know, go in, whether it's a cancer screening, whatever it is, say, feel like they can go and find that out and not have to worry about the cost or can I get access. That's one of the things that I know that she will continue to fight for and continue to speak out about. I, you know, another thing that really stands out to me is this moment in 2012 when John McCain uh, really came to your defense and said oh. that you were an honorable oh. woman, a dedicated yeah. American, and a mm. loyal public servant. I, I remember that moment so mm. well because, you know, it was part of this like ugly smear campaign where people were implying all these ridiculous ties about your family and the Muslim Brotherhood, and it was really a low in our partisan politics, mm-hmm. you know. And and for me, it was just personally like seemed like something that was a really painful moment can you talk about what it's like being the most visible like muslim woman in u.s politics well you know i think that um you know you're 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 making me emotional even thinking about that you know at the time um when that you know that list became public and i should note that it wasn't just myself there were other there were other you know well-known muslim americans in, in government who were who were put on that list and i think that my initial reaction, I confess, was complete and utter shock. I, uh, I, you know, I couldn't even I couldn't even wrap my head around the charges, and I think what Senator McCain did for and for which I will forever be grateful. And I have to say that I felt exactly the same way about our president, President Obama, who then there was an Eid reception at the White House, and you know he also uh, stood up for the Muslim Americans, including myself, who had been sort of labeled in a way that was so um, uh, upsetting. And I think the thing that upset me the most was how upset my family was. And and I kind of get up every day and I work in politics. You get to a point where you're used to, you know, there sometimes being these, you know, barbs thrown at you or negative insinuations thrown at you. And I think for many of us um, who are in that position, you can sort of steal yourself and not think about it and just get up and do your job. I think when your families are involved, it's a little bit harder. I think the hardest thing for me in this whole situation was the effect it had on my family and just the amount of pain that it had on my mother and and my father, who's, you know, not even alive to be able to defend himself. It was to me, that was the hardest part. What my siblings um, had to endure, what my my mother um, had to endure. And I think what Senator McCain did um, shows what's great about our country, which is, you know, you have people who stand up and say what they believe, even if it's not the most politically popular thing, popular thing to do. But 
I'm hoping that uh, that's part of the past, and I, you know, and me and other Muslim Americans don't have to you know, move move forward in this country um, having to worry about things like that, which is, again, something that really motivates me to work for this particular Democrat, because I think the the uh, dialogue on the other side has become increasingly scary. Yeah, and to that point as well about the sort of personal effect of uh, what your job entails or has come to entail. I know that we on our podcast read with with great interest, although probably with without the same political motivation as others, um, all of the email disclosures um, from the State Department days, in part because we're such fans of, of Hillary Clinton and of yours and of, you know, Barbara Mikulski. It's mm-hmm. sort of like this weird window into <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like uh, into the personal workings, I guess, of like professional women who we respect. You know, when I was thinking about talking to you, I was sort of like, God, you know, that must have just felt when I think about my work email being searchable, I just like it's like a full body panic, even if it's like, <laughs> not, I haven't said anything wrong. And so I'm, I'm curious about what that felt like to just know it was, it's out there in that way. It, terrifying. Um, but with, uh, and I haven't, <laughs> I confess, I have not read anything that has become public, but I think the story that I was most, um, I found most interesting was a woman, and I, I don't remember any of the details, but a woman who said she didn't support Hillary until she read all of her emails. <laughs> she saw what a warm, caring, thoughtful, determined person she was. But um, I can't. It's something I can't really think about because I I can't even imagine what's in what's in those emails. But I'm sure I would be I would be I, I would probably be mortified. I have no idea. Well, <laughs> I haven't a, read any of them. There's a really <laughs> funny one actually that I, I think oh, no. we talked about it once on the on the podcast. Yeah. Amina, please correct me if I'm wrong. But um, it's about getting a fax machine set up. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh, that's definitely our. That's definitely our favorite. <laughs> okay, one. that that's, one I heard about. I definitely heard about that because that made news. I heard about that one. Uh, yes. Do it's you rem- com- <laughs> Go on. Sorry. I mean, we all we all sympathize <laughs> in that moment. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's funny because it was it was a. It's hard to explain because it was a secure fax that was coming through, and I think what you read in the email. <laughs> is a little bit of her frustration that it wasn't working and my frustration that she couldn't figure it out or whatever it was but it was the backstory here is that we very often it was very it wasn't unusual that when secure faxes were coming through that we had some challenges with them coming through so i <laughs> i don't know that i have much to add to that except that now that i i i think back i and i didn't even i had not even remembered that it had happened that's the funny thing. So much happens in your life that you don't often. You, you, don't often you just in that moment, you were a hero to everyone who's ever had to help their boss like figure out any kind of technological problem. <laughs> so you don't it's, like don't I'm worry. So about glad. It. I am so glad there were people that read that that read that email and understood what it's like to go through it. So I'm. I'm curious about, you know, you saying that you didn't really go out of your way to look at what was there when it comes to, you know, any of the many things that we've talked about that are potential big headline making controversies. Do you Mm -hmm. have like a standard operating procedure for how you deal or for like for what you what you do when something blows up? 
Well, what are you t- <laughs> or what are you talking about in the campaign, or if any, if I read anything about myself? I don't know. I guess in general, it just seems like you know, in the in your life and in the, your line of work, it seems like controversy or things that at least appear controversial in headlines are kind of unavoidable. Um, <laughs> and I'm just wondering if you have like a I don't know, like you're like this is what I do when when shit hits the fan. There, there is, so I have a policy. I, first of all, I never read anything about myself. I don't, if I've done an interview and I haven't done very many, this is the first, um, this is the first podcast certainly I have ever done, but you know, I, I could count on one hand how many actual interviews probably that I've done and I'll never, I'll never read them if it's a magazine interview. I just, I don't want to, I don't want to know. And then usually if it's something a little, you know, uh, news, if there's some news that we're dealing with with the campaign. It's it's why I am so grateful to have this amazing communication staff here. And we if it's something we have to respond to, we huddle and we figure it out. I, you kind of just get into this zone. And then, you know, if it's about me personally, I just I, honestly, I just ignore it. And sometimes people will tell me I've read this thing about you and I'll say, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'll say, but it's but it's here. It it says it says you did this. No, I never did. Didn't go to law school. I I know I didn't go to law school, but uh, <laughs> I I I think I just get into work mode. You just click into you know what has to get done. And I think for the many busy busy listeners you have, when you have a, a four year old child and a job that requires you to travel and you don't have enough sleep and you're not sure when your next meal is and uh, you're doing work that you feel is important, there's a lot of things to distract yourself from, from the silliness that's out there. And so I just stay focused on, my, on my, my work, my son, and things that I love doing. Oh, my God. If we could only all be so disciplined. Advice from a pro. I mean. <laughs> I know. I'm just like inter- internalize everywhere. Oh, I don't know. And I'm not always so disciplined. I'm not perfect. But I cert- I mean, I, I try to be disciplined. <laughs> when she's elected president, Hillary Clinton's going to have the first ever first husband. Do you have any inside scoop of like what kind of initiatives Bill Clinton is going to pursue when he's first dude? I um, I don't I I feel that that just that question makes me nervous. I mean that's a very presumptuous. I mean I don't I don't want to get I don't want to get ahead of the primary. We've just we've got to get through the primary. But I think it's fair to say that as one of the most successful Democratic presidents in the history of this country, that there is nothing President Clinton can't do. And you know he's one of my great inspirations for getting into public service. I was one of those young staffers who would go to his speeches. And I always felt like when President Clinton was giving a speech, back when he was president, even now, every time he's giving a speech, you feel like he's talking to you. And he constantly is ask, asks questions and you're nodding. You say, yes. And then when he's done speaking, you think, okay, I need to go out and do something good for somebody because that's how inspiring he is. And so I just I don't think there's anything in the world that he can't do. I have a feeling, though, that he will not be picking the china out and he will not be picking out the flowers for any of the events <laughs> if they actually. He should really look into it, though. <laughs> Somebody has to. It's, it's a hard, you know, it's a hard job. And sometimes the man's the best person. For it's it. possible. I just I think that I think that my boss actually really enjoys doing those things. It'll be a good <laughs> it'll be yet another it'll be yet another additional sort of new thing. She'll be the first president. I don't know who picks out her own flowers for the for state dinners. But let's see. There's a ways to go before we get there. And. There's, there's a lot to do before before that happens, and it's hard to imagine right now. 
Um, for our, we have a lot of single lady listeners, mm-hmm. and we talk a lot about marriage mm-hmm. and political marriage and, mm-hmm. and the implications of it. Can you tell us what like modern political marriage means to you today? Well, well, I think marriage is um, a modern political marriage. That's interesting. You know, I think that uh, a marriage only really works in any in any situation, whether you're in politics or not, if one partner is fully supportive of the other. I think it's a little, um, it's often a little more challenging when you're in politics because your private life, and um, I think everybody craves their own privacy, and so I think your private life is displayed to the world in a way that you otherwise wouldn't have to deal with if you're one spouse is is private person other persons in politics as was the case in in certainly in my marriage but i think it works if you fully um support each other in uh in what you're doing so for example i could not do what i'm doing for hillary i'm on the road a lot uh on the campaign i as i mentioned earlier i have a four-year-old son and i don't think i could do this if i didn't have the support of a spouse who is willing to, you know, basically be a stay-at-home dad as much as he possibly can. And so I'm able to be on the road and I miss my son, but I don't worry about him because I know between this little village we've created between Anthony and uh, my in-laws and my mom and my our families and, you know, this wonderful woman who we have helping us, I can go out and be the best professional woman that I can be because I have that support. So I think, you know, being able to understand each other and, and support each other is is hugely important and being able to kind of withstand the the, the media scrutiny. And, and, you know, politics, it can often be, um, uh, it, it can often be uh, a contact sport. It, it's, I'm, I, I guess I should say it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. <laughs> it's not for everybody. <laughs> Well, in our last few minutes, we have a, like some rapid fire, just quick answer, kind of more fun questions that are not so fraught about the politics of marriage. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. I will start. Who are your besties, long distance or otherwise, who support and inspire you? My sister, who you know supports and inspires me every single day. Uh, wait, is, you said rapid fire. Is it only one person? However you want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I think I would, I guess I have to stay. I mean, it starts with my family, my sister every single day, my mother, um, you know, she lives in Saudi Arabia and it's across eight hour time zones. She is my biggest cheerleader and inspiration. I feel like the list of women is so long. I think of people like Anna Wintour, who even when it's tough, she'll send me an encouraging message and say, you you can keep doing this and she's somebody to me I look at and you know she makes the impossible look effortless and it's it's people like that uh, Shonda Rhimes another you know a woman who I again has done things that no one's ever done before and is so encouraging and so inspiring and I look at women who do things like that and it makes me think that I can I can do whatever I want to do, and obviously my my boss is very near at the top of that list. She inspires me to get up every single day 
and work hard. Oh my God, that is a power circle. (laughs) You're killing us. You're killing us. (laughs) (laughs) We're seriously falling out in separate studios. Um, (laughs) If you and Hillary had a podcast like Call Your Girlfriend, what would you talk about? Okay, food. Food. Definitely food. We're obsessed with food. It, it's a joke on the campaign. We, whenever we have a chance and it's mealtime, it is always, and in particular, we're so lucky to be able to uh, be on an airplane where we have this wonderful woman who provides us with as nutritious as meals as possible. But we are obsessed with food, and it's it's, and we look forward to it. And what is it? And I want to know the menu, and then we enjoy it. So we talk about food, we talk about fashion, and we sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll often do celebrity gossip. Although there are very often we'll be looking through pages and say, who are these people? We're not sure, but there's plenty of people we love. So we just, you know, it's fun. But I would say food is probably top of the list. Maybe food and shoes. What is your power snack? Okay, I you know, it's any power bar. You know, I did kind. I'm on Quest bars now, really, because oh, it's man, like... Oh, man, Quest bar, good bar. Yeah, Quest bar, I think, might be my favorite. Um, I like the cookies and cream and sometimes like the double chocolate brownie. But I think that it's the easiest thing. I throw it in my bag, and I think I mentioned this earlier. Sometimes you don't know when your next meal is. So it's the safest thing. It's the safest thing to pack. What's your pump-up song? You know what it's been recently is Andre Day's Rise Up. And we'll rise up I like the waves We'll rise up In spite of the ache We'll rise up And we'll do it a thousand times again I, I just... Yes. Ooh, oh, good oh my God. I just, I love her and her voice. And I just, I feel so empowered when I listen to that song. Ugh. Okay, you've said that you love the show Veep. Do you identify yes. with the Tony Hale character at all? <laughs> okay, so what I love... So there's lots of shows that I love. The The problem is we hardly ever, and I, lo- I do love Veep. I, I watch everything. I watch Veep. I watch Downton Abbey. I watch Scandal. I watch Good Wife. I watch, I mean, there's like the littlest is long. Here's the problem. I'm so behind on everything that now if we're traveling and I'll be at a hotel room in Iowa and I'll turn the TV on and I'll be totally confused. I'll be like, wait a minute. Wait, how did this happen? Kerry Washington's living in the White House? What? Because I have completely lost track of where we are or where they are in the seasons. Do I identify with the character? I just what I I identify with the whole show because I think to me it's the closest thing to what Washington is. And it's it's just sort of all the things that people don't want to say, they say on that show and it's done in such a funny way. But he is very, very funny. And I don't know that I identify with him, but he certainly sets a a very high standard for anybody who does that job. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited for you to catch up on Good Wife, because for me, and all of the when the emails were leaked, when I found out that you all watch Good Wife, that's the only thing I cared about. It was like, I that was in the emails. This is is the biggest revelation. (laughs) We got excited. Uh, And I can't wait for you to catch up because it's it's been a roller coaster and it's ending in five episodes and it's kind of crazy right now. Oh, my God. Don't Uh, tell me what happened. (laughs) Oh, I won't tell you. You're going to die. Like, it's amazing. You know, so last question. Are you ever going to consider running for elected office yourself one day? No. No. I know this is supposed to be rapid fire. Is that the the wrong answer? No, I don't think so. It's not the wrong answer. I don't think so. I feel like I've worked for a politician for a very long time. I've been married to a politician. I... I, I see what they go through. I'm not quite sure that I could. Uh, I, I'm not sure. That, I'm quite sure that I could do that. 
but I have a lot of respect, a lot of respect for people who run for elected office. Ugh, and we have so much respect for you, whether or not you we, run. Exactly. Yeah. Ugh. Thank Kumat, thank you so much for joining us today. This is such a high moment for us. There's so oh. many moments where I just wanted to scream and I'm so excited. I haven't had a fangirl moment in a long time, so thank you for today. This is a big deal for us. It's true, and, and it's uh, been fun. Well, this is I've, I can't believe so much that's gone by so quickly. I've had such fun, and I'm really honored to be on. I'm really honored to be on, and I'm thrilled that you asked me to do this. And I was, I mentioned early on, I was very nervous about doing it, and, and I, this was such a fun girl conversation. So I appreciate your taking the time to talk to me. Wow, Anne, that was great, right? Oh my god, um, I'm still a little high from it. I mean, I am definitely very high from it. I have dreams of like, oh, if I could just have a drink and like a long, you know, unspooling conversation with powerful women I admire, we would just get on so great, we would love each other, and that's kind of what this felt like. <laughs> I know, this is what this felt like. I just, ugh. Okay, let's just run down some like very key things. The first moment that I almost like died when I scream was when we're talking about her kind of like by bi- you know like biographical details and she brought up Christiane Amanpour. Who is uh, your favorite ever? Mine like number one with a bullet is Christiane Amanpour. That was very like hit close to home for me. It's true. I also appreciated her honesty when we were talking about her like early moments with Hillary when she was like, My first thought was you're so beautiful. <laughs> I know. That was great. Also like serious full body chills when she talks about like seeing her again in the rope line in Arkansas. That was great. Yeah. Um, Other like really good detail, you know, where she, um, so like she obviously talks about like being the chief of staff for uh, Milan Viver, who is now the executive director for the Georgetown Institute for Women, Peace and Security at Georgetown. And who is like, I can attest like first person, like one of the most fantastic ladies out there and such a booster of young women. And knowing that, you know, like, she was the one that is, like, kind of responsible for Huma Abedin. Like, also great. Okay, I also have to confess that there was a moment when Huma said that her favorite snacks were Power Bars and Quest Bars, where I was texting you, like, side channel to be like, I can't believe it, that's so disgusting. Except that I, like, what did I tell you? You were like, Quest Bars are the truth. (laughs) Quest Bars are great, and I don't even ride like that for Power Bars, but if you're going to Power Bar, that's the one. I mean, to me, also, I was like, wow, the Quest Bar and the Power Bar, like, is everything on brand? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, everything about Humavadine is power, 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 power. I don't know, you know, she also got real with a lot of our answers, like, talking to her about that, like, being a super visible, like, Muslim woman in politics, and I hadn't really considered her family in that whole incident and how painful that can right. be and, and the, the kind of stuff that it can bring up. I just, I love how close she is with her mom. And her sister in that really just really neat detail. Oh my god, speaking of her sister, scream moment in terms of core besties. Can you believe it? Anna Winter, Shonda Rhimes, and my sister. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at that moment, I was, you know, I was like definitely like R.I.P. I mean, I was deceased. 
I loved her, like her answer about like Bill Clinton and just being very, uh, being very careful there. So uh, careful. I really do wish Bill Clinton would like pick China patterns and stuff. It's like, what else are you going to do with your time? I know. I mean, even if it were, I keep thinking about what the acronym would be. It's like Fedotus, like <laughs> for first dude, dude of the United first States. dude of the United States. Fedotis. You're fired. You're like actually I mean, fired. Her answer about political marriage too, like so real and true. Right? It's not for everyone, and. You know, also just this, like, consideration of, like, yes, like, she can be this, like, power lady and travel all around the country, like, campaigning and doing all of this stuff because she's lucky to have a spouse who really, like, will pick up the slack and is at home and, you know, like, really contributes to that part of their marriage. And that was a really interesting dynamic. I mean, also, though, for me, (laughs) I don't know, I gotta say, I had a moment where I was like, yeah, your spouse is at home, but he wanted to be elected to office again, and that's what he was, like, making a bid to do. It's not like, you know, you guys sat down together and decided, like, okay, Huma's career is gonna be front seat. Like, he kind of screwed himself over, sorry. And, (laughs) and, like, I'm not saying that they don't have a great arrangement and he's not supportive now. That sounds awesome. I love it. It was just, like, a little, it was a little weird to me where, maybe because, like, I am skeptical of, like, all men who seem to do their super awesome wives wrong in the public eye. But I was like, okay, interesting. I don't know, but isn't that, like, what life is, though? Is that, like... If Powerful men both, doing their, their spouses wrong? No, I wrong? mean, like, you know, is, I don't know. It's, like, making the best of... is like, making the best of that situation. Like, if he... There's nothing in their marriage previous that indicated that if he had gotten elected that she would be a stay-at-home mom or... Out totally, of totally. Like, that's not... Pos- you know? I don't totally. Know, like... I don't know that that's a that's a fair uh, that's a fair like qualm to have, right? Because, but I, I do think that this this question of like how you negotiate like personally like work life uh, like work life and family balance is like that was interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, and I don't expect, listen, like, I don't expect any couple to say that, like, oh, yeah, like, we sat down and we plotted out our entire lives and decided that, like, 2014 to 16 would be your years, and then 2017 to 19 would be my years, and whatever. I understand that, like, you make decisions based on other stuff that happens. I don't know. I'm not trying to, like, say it's not, it doesn't count if you didn't, like, plan ahead to be <laughs> to be a supportive or stay-at-home you know, caregiver. I'm not trying to imply that at all. I'm just saying that, like, immediately it got me thinking about an alternate universe. I don't know. Like, it got me thinking about, like, what I know about her marriage from just, like, reading articles about it is what I I guess what I'm trying to say, which is admittedly, like, totally not the whole story. I, you know, I was both, like, disappointed, but also, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, I was like, I get it when she said that she was not necessarily, like, seeking political office for herself because... Anytime I see somebody who is powerful and remotely competent and it's a woman, I'm like, please, Emily's List, like, give this person all of your money. Like, this is what they should be doing with their lives. But it's really apparent in her career that she's ambitious and she's really consistently wants to be a behind-the-scenes player. I think it's interesting, though, because when you ask, I mean, even, God, I just read, I just read something about... Hillary Clinton being asked when she if she had ambitions to run for office. And I think it was like during Bill's second term. Um, and she was like, no, no, no. And I believe that like if she had really wanted to do that, she would have probably said yes. <laughs> or like at least said, I don't know, I might think about it. And so like, I don't know, like there's still time for Huma to change her mind if she should want to do that. Oh, uh, don't worry. I'm going to manifest that also. Our, <laughs> <laughs> our first, uh, she'll be like our first Muslim slash fashion fabulous president so it'll be great 
our first fabulous Muslim president. <laughs> Please make the like pre-campaign items now. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I um I remember this one moment in the interview where I think I asked her, I was like, uh, when Hillary Clinton's president, instead of like if Hillary Clinton's president, and she was like, that's so presumptuous. And I was thinking back about Marco Rubio. And the thing that I like love, the one thing that I loved about Marco Rubio is how consistently he was trying to manifest his like, he was like visualizing being president. And he always said, you know, like when I'm president, like X, Y, Z, like in my presidency. And I was like, my man, you're like fourth right now. This is amazing. And (laughs) I confess to like really channeling that feeling. He was actually playing a fantasy video game called my presidency. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, another thing that was interesting, it's like in going in to talk to, to Huma today was just thinking about like where we're at in the campaign moment and the obviously like on the Clinton side, they're being really careful and who knows, like we could win or Bernie could win or whatever. And the last thing that I watched before going into that interview was actually Chris Hayes's interview with Susan Sarandon Ugh. where I wanted to just tear my hair out because Wait, so recap, what did she say? <sighs> Susan Sarandon went on uh, all in with Chris Hayes and she's a surrogate for Bernie Sanders, which great celebrity surrogates they never work out and campaign people talk to me about this this is such a bad idea she's been a very vocal bernie supporter and basically said that she thinks that having donald trump as president is better than having hillary clinton as president you know this this is the same woman who tried to like force like nader down our throats like years ago i'm like we have now forgotten susan sarandon but yeah, just this, she's know, been on a losing streak generally in terms of public comments. I know, but it, it was so, like, just hearing her vocalize that for me was such a uh, it was such a low moment because of, you know, the, the Bernie versus Hillary wars on social media. P.S. This is also the same woman who, like, got in Dolores Huerta's face. Like, That's exactly no. what I was referring to when I, I said like, bad no. public behavior. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, like, like appalling, right? And, and just thinking about, like, the amount of privilege and just, like, what kind of kooky Hollywood person you have to be to really think that, like, Donald Trump's going to usher in revolution. Like, she actually used the word revolution, which is just nuts. Also, she's like, Susan Sarandon's a rich person. I'm like, please, I'm not forgetting this. You're part of the same system that Bernie Sanders trying to dismantle. So, like- Did you see that PBS had a quiz? Sorry, this is going to sound like a tangent, but I swear it's not. PBS had a quiz this week to see uh, how much of a bubble you live in. I know, and I have so many qualms with that uh, quiz because it's actually like very, it's very racialized. It's like gears towards white people. Well, it's, it's a quiz very for white people. Answer- Right. Yeah, it's like for white people to know like how much in a bubble they're in. I was like, this quiz does not work if you're a person of color. No, 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 it definitely doesn't. But doesn't it say that like this is like explicitly a like a thing about white America? I didn't think it did, but maybe. Oh my but god, also, maybe I just read it into. Every but also, and too. like a PBS explicitly <laughs> thing for white America sometimes <laughs> since the departure of Sesame I mean, Street. I mean, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Um, since the departure of Sesame Street, all the people of color have left. Um, anyway, uh, but what I was going to say about that is it definitely, I was, regardless, setting aside the thing about the survey, definitely makes you ask questions about Susan Sarandon's bubble. <laughs> I know, but also just, ugh, it's, God, I really wish we ran elections here like they do in other countries. It's like three weeks and pack everything and let's go home. It's, it's only March. We still don't know who the nominees are on either side. 
the rhetoric is just getting like worse and worse and worse and the tensions are just like coming to the surface. I don't know. I feel like it's good to talk to we like it's good to talk to behind the scenes people who help set policy and it's good to like like everybody I know this is going to sound dumb but like everybody has a choice in terms of what they focus on. Like you don't have to share like 10 offensive things that Donald Trump said about women. You can be like here's the reason I'm supporting XYZ candidate in a positive right. way. Like, everybody has agency, and, like, I don't know, sometimes I get frustrated as a member of the media, capital T, capital M. Obviously, I'm conscious of what stories are you amplifying. But, like, everybody has, I don't know, everybody has some responsibility for... My God, tell all the people on Facebook that. Um, <laughs> you know, the thing, too, about the Clinton campaign that's been really fascinating is that they do have all of these really powerful women behind the scenes. I looked at... um I looked over on Bernie Sanders' campaign page. Uh, weirdly, for a socialist, like revolutionary ushering person, not a lot of women involved. In well, there are the, very the percentages. Levels. The percent right. I was gonna say on public levels, and the percentages are not great. Yeah, and the pay also like is not great. But I, I, I don't think that you should like choose your political uh, like candidates that way. But it was a thing that was really interesting. Well, it's a question of like who is your natural network. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 sort of one of those things where I feel like if you put someone in a hiring position, which let's be real, is going to be like a campaign director or whatever, they are going to hire people in their network, and networks like do tend to break a lot. No, that's true. But I also think that lines. like when you know like that if the fight right now is over like who is more progressive, like that's an interesting data point. Is the fight over who's more progressive? Seriously? I mean, yes. It's like, this is the thing that they fought over for weeks. It's like, who's more progressive? And I'm like, I don't know. If you're going to be progressive in the sheets and in the streets, like, you have to hire women. Uh, <laughs> that's, like, that's fair. Anyway, God, can you tell we're both, like, so election fatigued right now? I don't know. I feel like we also sound like we could talk about this for hours, which I mean, doesn't, <laughs> which is not a sign of fatigue to me. I mean, admittedly I am drinking wine and my bra is off. So it's like all bets. Like we can talk for hours. Oh my God. <laughs> We're literally in the same, like same position, same visual. So Ugh. it's good. I just, I just want it to be over like very soon. I mean, also we can just choose again, agency. We can choose to like have this be a political episode and then like not talk about it for a few weeks. Okay, what else are you excited about right now? Oh my god, right this second? Yes, and right this second, besides being braless and drinking wine. Okay, so normally I get, like, review copies of books sometimes, and I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. I recently received a, like, I, it's wrong to call it a graphic novel, but it's an illustrated book, kind of, like, full of doodles and comics, etc., by Lisa Hannawalt, who oh, is, yeah. is the animator of BoJack Horseman, which is not relevant to me, but... Um, this book is incredible. There's like a multi-page spread about menstrual huts. Um, <laughs> she does this weird thing about anthropomorphized ladybirds shopping for bathing suits. It's all so weird. I love it so much. And I've seriously been just like sitting and paging through it. And it's called Hot Dog Taste Test. <laughs> that's, uh, that's great. That's my recommendation. That's what else is happening. We're, we're literally on the opposite reading schedule. I'm reading. <laughs> winning this business book right now called Super Bosses, How Great Leaders Build Unstoppable Networks of Talent. Oh my god. Uh, by uh, Sydney Finkelstein, who's like this great professor at Dartmouth. And honestly, I'm like pleasantly very surprised. You know, 
you know my like secret my secret shame is how many like management books I read but I really like this one I mean give me a hot tip from super bosses like what have you actually learned (laughs) (laughs) well so I just started reading it but there's this whole um the whole conceit is like essentially like what makes a super boss right and so he examines like all of these like protégés and the career leaders people who are like super famous mostly dudes right so it's like football coaches and oh my god uh, i can't brinker but also ralph lauren uh there's vera wang and vera wang is like one woman in this book and that's like really really great (laughs) but the thing actually that i love the most about it is that um he was on some like media tour and i think this is what um made me pick up the book and he was reading this article where they showed a graphic of a famous french chef and he talked about all of his sous chefs and the former sous chefs and it just like graphed out like how everybody went on after a period of time and how all these people like worked at all these other great restaurants and they used to work for this great chef and I was like yes you're like a, such a nerd and you brought snacking into this whole thing and it's a thing that I think about a lot right like how your professional network expands and how everybody you know like and I think that even in our network like this is something that's so apparent it's like how everybody has like leveled up the interesting connections, like professional connections that happen on every level. And so reading fiction is very hard for me. So like I'm a like through and through nonfiction reader, but this appeals to like every nerdy bone in my body. (laughs) The fiction that anyone can have a great team. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, not everyone, just super bosses. I'm still getting to to the part about like what makes a super boss, but you know, ultimately it's like be competent at your job try to not be an asshole and have like teachable learnable things i don't know wow i love you're right it's totally the opposite i'm like hot dog taste test and you were like yeah, teachable I'm moments like, and managerial I'm like, and here's this mckinsey case study <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like no i swear it's really funny the birds have boobs i can't explain it like <laughs> listen it's not ev- it's not every day in this friendship that i'm not the one that's like reading uh the lowbrow thing so I'm i know like gonna let, cherish this moment <laughs> let me tell you though that this book mutual lady friend of ours carolyn was at my house and picked it up and she was like i think i'm gonna make a menstrual hut behind my house after reading the menstrual huts cartoon that's how influential. I can't even believe carolyn doesn't already have a menstrual hut that's like doesn't have a lot of yard space it is. <laughs> yeah it's crazy oh there's this like category in the book though where he talks about like the different kinds of creative types one type is the iconoclasts and miles davis is the example that he uses oh my god like big miles davis fan even though i think uh jazz is garbage but wait 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 wait. you think jazz is garbage and it never resolves it's so like as a musical form it is so problematic but there's like some jazz i really enjoy you, you but, like, can't call jazz a problematic musical form oh, it's so it's <laughs> like call, not allowed first of all and if i've learned anything from my liberal arts undergraduate education is that you can call anything problematic <laughs> second of all i'm saying that like jazz is trash that's like where i'm like wow. parking this is like an opinion i'm parking but i do Listen, I'm mostly tongue-in-cheek. There's a lot of jazz that I like, but it drives me crazy. But so he talks about, like, Miles Davis. And uh, that's really fascinating. You know, like, people who just become, like, magnets, like, in and of themselves. And how, like, they, they just, like, attract good people in their circle. And they just, like, end up teaching so many people over time. And I was like, man, this is, you know, like, the natural outgrowth, like, outgrowth of being a good leader. Shine theory for CEOs. Yeah, shine. It's like shine theory for CEOs. 
our eighth book, which we will write sometime around 2025. <laughs> yeah, anyway, like, if you're a nerdy person, or even if you're just, like, I don't know, if you're somebody who is like me, like, kind of stumbled into managing people, like, really young, and you didn't know what you were doing, and you were just, like, fake it till you make it every day, like, Super Boss is the book for you. It'll it'll make you feel motivated. You'll learn about all these other people. I just, I just wish there were more like lady examples in all these books, but like shocking, there are not a lot of public lady super bosses. Well, if you need a weird kind of like stoner feminist come down, then you go home after like implementing super bosses and read Hot Dog Taste Test. <laughs> <laughs> they actually work together. <laughs> and maybe one day when we live on the compound and we share a library, like this is how we'll organize books in pairs, like the high and the low of everything. It's like, here's the shot and here's the chaser. The the menstrual hut will actually have two shelves. Oh my god, menstrual like the menstrual hut like an, another. Th- now that I've like achieved one thing on my bucket list, I can put another thing on. Ugh, making so much room for new goals. Okay, um, maybe we should tell people we still have a survey up um, at callyourgirlfriend.com slash survey. Uh, we're doing a live show in D.C. We're super excited to see all of you. It is sold out, sold out. So we're really sad for all of those who keep emailing us and asking about tickets. We unfortunately do not have any for you. But you know one thing that you can do to make your life a little easier is to go on our Facebook event page for this thing. Not the actual Facebook page, the event page, and see who else is offloading their tickets. There's, I love that we have a little ticket black market happening. Ugh, I mean, I hope no one is scalping, but you know, like, do what you need to do. Don't jack up the prices. It'll be fun. We will see lots of people. There. How honored do you feel that people are scalping tickets in your name, though? I mean, I don't know. I once read an article about, like, how Tom Petty prices his tickets and how he, like, actually advantages scalpers, and I've been thinking, maybe we just gotta raise the prices. (laughs) God, this is exactly what Bernie Sanders and Susan Sarandon are talking about. (laughs) You people. No, they're just playing ping pong. The millionaire and billionaire class (laughs) jacking up the podcast price tickets. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on iTunes, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf or email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Ugh, just look it up yourself. Or on our brand new Instagram at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. Gina Delvac. See you on the internet in all of those places. (laughs) See you on the internet.